Moses, so the children of Israel did, and they divided the land. Now, I don't want you to miss that, because one of the greatest needs each one of us has, all of us, is we have the need to learn how to be simply obedient to the Lord. And listen, every calamity that has ever happened in this world or in your life, at some way you can see it rooted back to a lack of obedience. As the Israelites split the land they'd conquered among their various tribes, they could have looked to personal preference for the decisions. Instead, as Pastor Daniel will share today, they looked to God. Their creator had already brought them through impossible situations and into the land he'd promised them. And they chose to let him decide their next steps. If you're facing a decision today, turn to God for the wisdom you need. Now here's Pastor Daniel in Joshua chapter 14 with part one of his message, Caleb and the West Side. All right, let's open up in our Bibles to the book of Joshua chapter 14. Joshua chapter 14, as we continue this study here in the book of Joshua, now our second series here that we're calling Homestead. And and the reason we're calling that is now it's time for the children of Israel to actually put down roots and begin to inhabit the promised land that God had promised to them all the way in the time of Abraham, just hundreds and hundreds of years before. Now they're finally getting to walk in that inheritance. And so as we broke open this series, actually in chapter 13, we begin first by hearing about these, there's The main conquest is done, but there's a lot of battles that still need to be fought. But instead of the entire army going in, now the tribes that are living in that area are going to deal with the rest of the work there. And then we also saw about the tribes that are landing on the east side of the Jordan. So Reuben, Gad, and half-tribe of Manasseh, they're all settling in on the east side of the Jordan. And so they got their land as was promised because they fulfilled what they needed to. And so today, as we go into chapter 14, I'm calling this message, Caleb and the West Side, because uh, it would make a great name for a band from the 50s. And because I'm a musician, I just wrote down Caleb and the West Side. I'm like, that sounds really good, actually. And so if your name is Caleb and you're looking for a band name, you're a singer, Caleb and the West Side is the way it would go. But literally, the reason we do this is because now we're going to start seeing the settling of the other nine and a half tribes on the west side of the Jordan, which would have been considered the land of Canaan or the promised land. That was what they were promised. The folks who settled on the east side of the Jordan, that was like additional land that they were given because they wanted to be there. But we really focus in on one particular person in this chapter, and that's Caleb, and we're going to get to that. So without further ado, in verse 1 of Joshua chapter 14, it says this, these are the areas which the children of Israel inherited in the land of Canaan, which Eliezer, 
the priest, Joshua, the son of Nun, and the heads of the fathers of the tribes of the children of Israel distributed as an inheritance to them. Their inheritance was by lot as the Lord had commanded by the hand of Moses for the nine and a half tribes. For Moses had given the inheritance of the two and a half tribes on the other side of the Jordan. But to the Levites, he had given no inheritance among them. For the children of Joseph were two tribes, Manasseh and Ephraim. And they gave no part to the Levites in the land except cities to dwell in. And their common lands for their livestock and their property. As the Lord commanded Moses, so the children of Israel did. And they divided the land. Now, if you've been tracking with us at all through this verse-by-verse study through the Old Testament, you'll notice that you get a lot of these. There, I call them summary statements, where it's like, it's almost like the Spirit of God pulls us out from the details and then gives us like a big picture once again. And I think that the reason that that happens is oftentimes in the midst of all the little things that we're trying to understand, we have to be reminded of the big things. In some ways, there's a saying that people have that you got to make sure you don't miss the forest by staring at the trees. And for each one of us, in the almost the minutiae of life, you have to make sure that you force yourself to think about life in the big picture, not just get stuck in the little things. And it was funny, as I was preparing this today, and I was really praying over the message once again, I really felt like the Lord was like, you need to make sure that people hear that, because there's... I believe there's many of us who, in the busyness and the stressors of life, you're so focused on specific things that you're forgetting the big things that actually will drive the way you feel and deal with the specific things. So we keep seeing this in the Bible where it goes from all these details and then it pulls on out and it says, this is really what's going on here. And so these first five verses here, really do that for us. We are reminded, of course, that the children of Israel did indeed inherit the land in verse 1. We also are reminded that Eliezer is the high priest and Joshua the son of Nun and all the heads of the fathers of the tribes of the children of Israel distributed the inheritance to them. So you see once again in the life of the children of Israel, you have the high priest. Now Eliezer was a descendant of Aaron, his son. He functioned as the high priest. And then you have Joshua, who was the national leader. And then you have all of the heads of the tribes. And so you really, you see here, it's not just Joshua or it's not just Eliezer. There is a plurality of leadership, even though Eliezer's got a specific role to play and Joshua's got a specific role to play. And the heads of the tribes have a specific role to play. Now, what we also notice in verse one, it's called the land of Canaan. And the land of Canaan is the Old Testament way of saying the promised land. The allotted land that was going to be given to the children of Israel on the west side of the Jordan River. That was called the land of Canaan. And there was lots of different tribes that lived there, but the overarching title would be the Canaanites. Like, maybe not a a perfect example of this. It's like, here we live in America, right? And so you can call all of us Americans, But if you've ever lived in different parts of the country, the Americans in the Northwest are different from the Americans in Southern California, which is different from, and I'm not knocking the people in Southern California, I don't know why all you Northwesters are snickering, 
you know? But it's different from people, like I grew up in the Northeast, and that's a whole different kettle of fish over there, you know? And then people who live in the, in the Southeast or in the Plain States, the Central part, everyone, there's, we're all American, but there's great differences, you know? We're like, one place you go, and they say, you want some pop? And I'm like, what's that? For some people, so I'll never forget this. I remember the first time I drove cross country. I've done it many times. Fun story. So when you're driving cross country and you're from New Jersey, it's like you get real nervous about what you're going to eat because I grew up eating such, you know, I mean, everyone loves the food that they grew up on. But if you go to New York, you'll know what I'm talking about, you know? So as we're driving across the country, we're like, well, we're just going to only eat at like chain restaurants because I don't want to get like some funky food. And so sure enough, we pull up into a pizza hut and we were in the plain states, not knocking people from the plain states. And I remember, you know, so I get in there, we get pizza hut. I'm like, can I have some garlic powder? Because I'm Italian. So it's like, you put garlic on everything, you know, even if it's good, if it tastes perfect, you still put garlic on it. So I remember the woman there looked at me like I was nuts. And she's like, we don't have any of that. I'm like, oh, okay. She's like, but I do have some garlic spray. I was like, you know, thanks anyway. So kind of you to offer it. And I looked at my buddy who I was traveling with. I'm like, what is garlic spray? And then my, my buddy, you know, because he's from New Jersey too. So he's like totally sarcastic. You know, and so when the lady comes back, she's like, so I was just wondering, what is garlic spray? And she's like, you know, it's like an aerosol clan with like liquid garlic in it. And my buddy's like, you need to own some of that. That's what he said to me. Because you guys are mad, you got aerosol can of garlic. So you walk into everything, you're just like, shh. Yeah. Anyway, it's going to be one of those nights. Random story. But the idea is that the Canaanite, the land of Canaan was this great expanse. And there was all these different groups of people there. But it was all considered the land of the Canaanites. Now, we also learn here in verse 2 that this land is being distributed by Lot. And the Lord had commanded Moses that this was the way this land was meant to be distributed. And you've saw this number of times in the book of Numbers. Now, Obviously, the idea of casting lots sounds quite arbitrary, but don't ever forget that Proverbs 16.33 tells us that the lot is cast into the lap, but it's every decision is from the Lord. And so oftentimes the casting of lots was often Eliezer was there as a representative of God. And there's the Urim and the Thummim and all these things. If you don't know what I'm talking about, he's got to go back in our archives. And we studied all this stuff together. So they trusted that when lots were being drawn and the high priest was involved, that God was going to lead that. And so this land was given by the casting of lots. Now, we're reminded again that we have these nine and a half tribes which are settling on the west side of the Jordan. And then we're reminded, and we saw it in the last chapter in verse 3, that Moses had given the two and a half tribes the inheritance on the east side of the Jordan. And we saw that being distributed in the last chapter. And that the Levites had been given no inheritance among them. And we saw that also at the end of Joshua chapter 13. Now because the Levites were not given an inheritance. If you think about it, there's 12 tribes of Israel. All the tribes are supposed to get land. The Levites don't get any land. So now you only have 11 tribes, right? But then we learn, for the children of Joseph were two tribes, Manasseh and Ephraim. So with the 12 tribes of Israel, and for those of you who are like, what are you talking about? Don't worry about it. 
But for those of you who are really interested in kind of real specific Bible interpretation, you know that there's 12 tribes of Israel, but really there's 13 because Jacob actually adopted Joseph's two sons. And so what's fascinating is that with the division of the land, because the Levites get no land, then Ephraim and Manasseh are each considered their own tribes. And other times when the Levites are included, Ephraim and Manasseh are considered the tribe of Joseph, which is fascinating. Now, the reason I bring this up is there's a lot of discussion in the New Testament. How many apostles did Jesus choose? So there's 12 apostles, right? Everyone knew that? Say, how many apostles are there? 12. Everyone got it? How many apostles are there? 12. Good. Now, what happened? One of the apostles committed suicide. Who is that? Anybody know? Judas Iscariot. Okay, you guys are, you guys are back. The coffee kicked in. Good. Okay. So Judas Iscariot, he committed suicide because he betrayed the Lord. And then if you remember in the book of Acts chapter one, they cast lots and Matthias became the replacement for Judas. But then of course you end up with another apostle who was chosen by God. And who was that? The apostle Paul. So I bring that up because just as there was 12 tribes, but there's kind of 13 and it was kind of weird. Same thing with the apostles. Now, the reason Jesus chose 12 apostles, though, was because Jesus was creating a new Israel. And if he would have chosen a different number, see, the apostles function as this is representative of the new Israel, the redeemed Israel. And so 12 tribes, you get 12 apostles. So I just brought that all out. So for those of you who enjoy that kind of stuff, you enjoy the uniquenesses of the Bible. Every time there's a list of the 12 tribes, you should look at the differences in them. It makes for a fascinating study. If you're having a hard time sleeping at night, it's a great way to fall asleep. Just like literally just write down all because sometimes you're like, oh, Levi's there, but it's the tribe of Joseph. And sometimes Levi's aren't there. And then it's Ephraim and Manasseh. And then other times, like when you get to the book of Revelation, like the tribe of Dan is missing. Fascinating stuff. And so what it all means, I have no clue. But we search the scriptures. Like we search the scriptures to try and understand how these things are meant to play out. And so we have this idea that on the west side of the Jordan River, Manasseh and Ephraim are going to get their own land. Each tribe is going to get its own allotment, except for the fact that we get these common lands for the livestock of the Levites. So these pasture lands, you get that in verse four. And then notice verse five, as the Lord had commanded Moses, so the children of Israel did, and they divided the land. Now, I don't want you to miss that because one of the greatest needs each one of us has all of us, is we have the need to learn how to be simply obedient to the Lord. And listen, every calamity that has ever happened in this world or in your life, at some way you can see it rooted back to a lack of obedience, whether on your part or on somebody else's part. And so Pastor Robbie, our student ministries pastor, says that God's blessing is on the other side of obedience. And so I never want to miss a moment When I see in the Bible where it says somebody was obedient, I don't want to ever miss that and remind us that God desires us to be obedient. Now, we are saved by grace apart from works. So that what that means is God already realizes that all of us are disobedient, that there's not one of us who has ever been obedient that we would be acceptable to God without God's grace, except for Jesus himself, because he always did those things that please his father. So we're not saved 
by our works. But once we are saved, our ability to experience all that God is for us in Christ is actually found through obedience. And when we take steps of faith to walk in obedience with the Lord, then you get to experience what it truly means to be a child of God. And in any way that we choose disobedience, we actually cut the knees out of our ability to be able to experience God the way he wants us to experience him. So you have to simply ask yourself, what areas of disobedience do you have? And here's the thing. All of us have them. There's not one of us that doesn't have areas of struggle or areas of disobedience, right? And some of you might be like, well, I don't have anything. It's because you're blinded, which is disobedience. Like all of us sin and fallen short of the glory of God. We're all in process and God is doing a work. And the key for each one of us is to choose God's way despite how we feel, despite what our culture tells us to do, despite what our friends tell us to do if they give us lousy counsel. And to choose God's way and trust that God is going to work out whatever the thing is. And what I have learned in my life is that God empowers us on the step of obedience. That God's empowerment comes not before we take the step, but as we take the step. God meets our step with his empowering presence so that we can walk in it. And I think for each one of us, we have to learn the simple art of, I just want to be an obedient child. Now you might say, well, why would God say you shouldn't do this thing? Because it's kind of fun. I just talked to someone about this the other day. They said, well, you know, I I know that the Bible says I shouldn't, but it's kind of fun. And I'm like, well, listen, the Bible does say that sin is pleasurable for a season. But really what it boils down to is that God loves each one of us so much that he doesn't want us to hurt ourselves. And God is not interested in temporary pleasures. He is interested in his blessings abiding in our life. And the problems with disobedience is it gives us a temporary pleasure. But that temporary pleasure doesn't stay pleasurable. At some point it leaves you empty. And when it leaves you empty, then once you've been trying to experience God's blessing through disobedience and you end up empty, then the only thing you know how to do is continue to try and fulfill that emptiness with more flesh, which gives you that very rapid downward spiral into a place that is bleak and hurtful. And if we're honest, all of us have experienced that in all different ways. So what God wants for us is he wants us to trust him even when we don't want to. Like I said this a million times, I'll never stop saying it because I live this way, is don't wait to want to do something to do the right thing. Like I always say, I want to say yes to the Lord even when I don't feel like it and I ask God to bring my heart around. Because too many is like, well, you know, I'm going to follow my heart. Listen, don't follow your heart. Follow Jesus and lead your heart. And so what goes on is that each one of us needs to, don't wait till you feel like it. Do what you're supposed to do. And as you take that step of faith that you don't want to take, but you know you need to take it, as you take the step of faith, say, God, you know I am doing this obediently, but I don't really want to. Will you change my heart? Will you, as I take this step, will you change my heart? And what I've learned is that when I take a step of obedient faith, and I say, Lord, you know I don't really feel like doing this, but change my heart. You know what he starts doing? Starts changing my heart. So that at some point, at a later date, I actually want to do the right thing. And I don't have to fight with myself to do it. I want to do it because God has changed my heart. So like right now, for those of you who are married, 
You may not feel like loving and serving your spouse because you got all this water under the bridge and all this stuff goes on. But guess what? You honor the Lord because he says that's what you're supposed to do. And he said, Lord, you don't feel like it, but I'm going to do it. We change my heart. And you know what he does? He changes your heart. But he won't change your heart if you don't do it. But if you choose to take the step of faith, he will change your heart. Like with your jobs. Or for those of you who are like, well, my job is school right now. When you do your job as unto the Lord, not as unto your boss, right? So that you do not what everyone else does, but you do what you're supposed to do. You do your job with excellence as an act of worship to the Lord. And your employer gets the benefit and they give you money to be there. When you don't feel like doing it, but when you step out in faith, God will enliven that within you. And before you know it, it doesn't matter what your boss thinks. It doesn't matter what the company thinks because you know who you're living before. And as you take that step of faith, God changed your heart. You know what that's called when you do that? It's called faithfulness. You're faithful on your job. You're faithful in your school. And when you are faithful, God now can work with that. But you don't learn faithfulness doing the things that you want to do. You learn faithfulness when you take steps of obedient faith with things you don't want to do. Does it make sense? So the children of Israel did exactly, exactly what God had told Moses to do. They did exactly that thing. And I want to, you know, the children of Israel can get knocked in all these different ways as we read the Bible. We see them make all these mistakes. But when this happens, I'm like, yeah. They followed God's plan and his heart to the letter. Now, on the heels of that, it says, then the children of Israel came to Joshua in Gilgal. This is verse six. So the first inheritance that we look at of the nine and a half tribes in the promised land on the west side is the tribe of Judah. Now, of course, the tribe of Judah ends up getting that place of supremacy in the pecking order. Even though Judah was the fourth born because of a number of different things, Judah becomes the most important. And obviously, you know from the New Testament that what tribe was Jesus from? Judah, the lion of the tribe of Judah. All your genealogies in the New Testament remind you that Jesus is the promised Messiah that comes from the line of Judah, right? But before we get into the land for Judah, there's one descendant of Judah who gets special placement. And that's this man, notice, in the middle of verse 6. And Caleb the son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, said to him, you know the word which the Lord said to Moses, the man of God, concerning you and me in Kadesh Barnea. Verse 7, I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to spy out the land, and I brought back word to him as it was in my heart. Nevertheless, my brethren who went up with me made the heart of the people melt, but I wholly followed the Lord my God. So Moses swore on that day saying, surely the land where your foot has trodden shall be your inheritance and your children's forever because you have wholly followed the Lord my God. Jesus is In today's message, Pastor Daniel shared the details of how God split the land up between the remaining tribes of Israel. It wasn't one person's desires or a dominant tribe's victory. It was all coordinated through God's word and 
God's guidance. He had already given the Israelites instructions, and they chose to obey and follow him. Today, you may have a decision in front of you as well. Will you choose to follow God? Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram have become a regular part of our everyday lives. And we want to be sure to encourage you to check out Pastor Daniel's Facebook page, Twitter feed, and Instagram. Log on to JesusIsRealRadio.com and follow the links. Pastor Daniel shares two-minute video messages throughout the week on his Facebook page. Log on to JesusIsRealRadio.com and follow Pastor Daniel. Hey, this is Josh, and I wanted to personally thank you for listening today to Jesus Is Real Radio. Did you know that Pastor Daniel also has a TV program? It's called Real with Daniel Fusco. I want to encourage you to go to JesusIsRealRadio.com, click on the stations option in the main menu, and find out if Real with Daniel Fusco airs on a TV station in your area. Make sure to tune in again as Pastor Daniel will reintroduce you to Caleb, one of the original spies that entered the land of Canaan before the Israelites wandered in the wilderness. Caleb, along with Joshua, had been faithful to God in the face of fear when everyone else chose not to believe. Now an old man, Caleb was establishing his future, but will make a request that goes against conventional wisdom. There's more to come from Pastor Daniel's series called Homestead. Please glance at the clock right now and make plans to join us again for another edition of Jesus Is Real Radio.